What is going on, people? It's the Fly Life Podcast, and I'm your host, Martin Novak. Thanks for bearing with me for these two weeks. I know I've only did one episode a week, but I've been on the road for about 12 of the last 14 days, and I figured it'd be better to spread them out than just skip a week and ghost you guys for seven days. But as of August 9th, I'm back in the studio, back to a recording schedule of two a week, so it won't even be like we skipped a beat. On another note, and I couldn't be more stoked and excited about this, the Fly Life Podcast is now brought to you by Emacs USA. That's right, it's sponsored by Emacs, and this is huge for me. I've been running Emacs Motors for a long time. I completely believe in the brand and the product, otherwise I wouldn't have stuck with it for so long, and I've tried a bunch of other products, and I'm still true to Emacs. And now with this sponsorship, you can get 10% off at the Emacs store with code FLYLIFE, all caps. And that's emacs-usa.com. The dash is important here. And before we move on, they have some sweet new products that you should go check out um, at their website. They have the new Emacs Baby Hawk R Pro. It's a 4-inch screamer. Um, it's 4 to 6S, Magnum 3 stack. It comes with the new props, which I'll mention in a sec, pod style. Um, but it's a sweet-looking quad for the fun of flying. If you're into racing, it's lighter, easier to crash, less repairs, killer setup. And like I mentioned, it comes with the new Avan Skimitar props, which are low-pitch props. They come in 4 and 5-inch variants. Obviously, the Baby Hawk R Pro comes with the 4-inch version. But they have a pitch of 3 and below, which I think is awesome. Um, as you guys know, I like low-pitch props. You get more resolution. Ryder and I talk about it all the time on the show. You get more resolution. I think prop wash is easier to mitigate with low-pitch props. And Emacs just dropped some low-pitch props, so make sure to check that those out. And then finally, they have the new Nano Antenna. And when I say Nano, it is about a drink straw with an eraser on it. So that means you're less likely to break it, hit it on stuff, have to replace it. It's going to be an afterthought once it's on the quad. Sweet antenna, and make sure to go check that out. Don't forget that's emacs-usa.com and code FLYLIFE, all one word caps for 10% off at checkout and thank you to Emacs for sponsoring the show I couldn't be more happy about this and let's not forget that the show is also sponsored by Real Steady you can use code FLYLIFE at checkout for $5 off of Real Steady Go you guys know how I feel about Real Steady Go I just got back from a filming gig had to stabilize 68 gigs worth of footage and if it was the full version I would have needed uh, another hard drive and a gun so Make sure to go check out realsteady.com, get that Real Steady Go, and use code FLYLIFE at checkout for five bucks off. All right, now let's get back into the episode. This week I have Greg Ryder on. It's another one of those episodes. Um, we talk about my trip to Aspen, doing a professional filming gig, the ins and outs of that, like issues I had, things I learned, how my outlook changed on a few things. And then we also talk about HD video and FPV. We all know it's here. DJI dropped their system. Um, Fat Shark teased their HD video system. And I think it's going to be a new era in FPV. So we talk about that and then, you know, a little bit of setups and the usual FPV banter. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Greg Ryder on this week's episode of the Fly Life Podcast. Peace. What up, man? been like what six weeks a month since the last episode that we did yep yep about six weeks i feel like this. how you been uh i've been good i feel like this one's going to be less technical talk but on the front of how i've been i just got back to kansas 
like 24 hours ago from the shoot in Aspen. Nice. Yeah. What were, you, what were you doing out in Aspen? I was on a two-and-a-half-day shoot. It was almost three days filming mountain bikers, a zip line, and an alpine roller coaster. Mountain bikers one day, zip line one day, alpine roller coaster one day. And then, like, finished filming the alpine roller coaster, went back to the hotel, packed my shit, and just hopped straight on a plane. Damn, just quick rips. How much, uh, how much gear did you take out there for that? Too much. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw some some of the stuff you were packing up. What'd you bring? Uh, I played it safe. I brought like a full on two port uh, twenty amp charger. <laughs> Excuse me. Full on twenty uh, twenty amp two port charger. I brought four drones, two low flows that were identical, an MQC Fusion split on five S and a Cinewhoop. Two GoPros, 20 batteries, three Fat Shark batteries, like eight ND filters, spare parts for, like one spare part for every quad. So like one Emax motor, one quad me motor, one, one frame arm for everything. <laughs> Just too much uh, shit. But and they let to... you on the plane with that shit? Yeah, which, um, Chase, if you're going to be listening to this uh, during your work day, uh, I think the high C labeling is killer for the inside baseball. Like, it's a fun time. But for TSA, slightly questionable. Yeah. <laughs> like, and I pulled out, I, like, it was, I had, like, 20 batteries in a camera bag. And, the, like, I get stopped at security every time. And I pulled them all out. And the guy laid them all out in a bin. Like, I had, yeah, so 20 drone batteries. I pulled my Tyrannus battery out, three GoPros and three <laughs> Fat Shark batteries. So I had, like, almost 30 batteries. And the dude pulls them out. And he's like, what are these? And I was like, oh, those are drone batteries. I was here for a film shoot. And he was like, do all these power one drone at the same time? Like, I was like, no, like I explained it to him, I was like, they're for each flight, they last about this long, but then it just got me thinking of like the octopus weave of XT60s it would take to plug, uh, yeah. all, to plug all those into one drone at the same time. Yeah. Just be like, yeah, we're rocking uh, about 380 volts on this one. It's like a high horsepower drone, you know. Yeah, it's a 64 cell. Yeah. So was he tripping on the way they looked like juice boxes? Was he like, sir, you know these aren't juice boxes, right? Yeah, like he didn't trip on it super hard, but there was definitely like a double take, you know? Like even like the um, Thunder Power Adrenaline series are like a bit like what the fuck are these? Um, but the high C batteries with the missing persons on the back of it, like Provo and Sean FPV and shit, like he pulls it up, looks at it, and it's like, high c battery 18.5 volts turns it around and there's just a picture of provo that's like missing <laughs> like a milk carton <laughs> yeah, and like they're not going to get the branding yeah and it didn't like you know come up but you could just definitely see the double take of like uh what is this thing and i'm sure like i couldn't see the screen um the x-ray screen but i imagine five stacks of lithium with balance wires and leads coming out of it looks like some type of explosive device and uh you know just don't wear them in a vest and it's probably chill yeah so um when you got to alpine were you the only pilot there or were you there with other pilots uh i was the by alpine do you mean aspen sorry yeah but it's fair because i was in the alpine <laughs> um i was the only no, when you were yeah, yeah. You just go over that yeah when I you was were in aspen a little place called aspen <laughs> 
Yeah, California was beautiful. Oh, <laughs> uh, you're killing me, dude. Um, yeah, so when you were in Aspen, were you the only pilot there or were you with other pilots? Uh, I was the only pilot. Um, and the guy that was like my connection, like the guy that hired for me for the gig, he was filming stuff too. And then on day one, there was a photographer, but the photographer, um, who was super chill and talented, um, was trying to get these like epic shots, super close to the mountain bike trail. She came out for the mountain bike day and we're like driving up. So we got driven to the top of, um, Snowmass at like seven in the morning, like no chairlift got up there super early. And she's like asking me all these questions, like, how'd you get into this? What are these things about? How do you film with them? And then she was like pretty pumped on it. And she's like, yeah, I'm going to get some sick pictures. And after the first run I did with the drone, she was over it. She was just like, yeah, I think I'm just going to bail on tomorrow's shoot and probably peace early today because I was in every single one of her shots and I was getting like within four feet of her every time because she'd like crouch on the side of the trail and try to get like a nice low shot of the mountain bikers going by. And I would be like, you know, panned, like flying a little blind facing the mountain bikers. And I was just buzzing her head within four feet, like every shot. And I could tell she was just not feeling it, which I didn't feel bad about because the guy that hired me to do it, like let her know um, and the crew know that like the drone was number one, like the purpose of the shoot was the FPV drone. So, like, that was mm-hmm. priority, um, and I felt kind of bad, but, you know, such as So, life. you had the priority angles, and you had to push her out a little bit. You didn't even know she was there, though, right? Yeah, there was one shot where I was like, yeah, or, like, one pack, I flew, like, three lines, and I saw her on the first line, and I was like, hey, I got pretty close to your head. Don't worry, I saw you, and then I went back into the hotel and checked the footage, and on, like, the third pack, I got, like, way closer to her than I thought. I was like, oh, no wonder she was like, oh, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she, like halfway through the first day, um, called it a day. Yeah. I was like, I'm just going to go hang gonna... out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, what's that like? Because I know you like to fly by yourself to really focus. And then like in a situation like that, you got to focus a lot. And then there's like four other camera people around, maybe a director you got all these people that you got to like think about right in your space. But what's that, what's that like? It was like the first pack I was super shaky and like out of my element. Um, and then, you know, like you have like one of those sick moments in the goggles where you're just like, Oh yeah. Like I just, I just got the shot. And then it just totally snaps out of you. Like that's how I felt like the first Mm -hmm. pack. I was super nervous. It was early in the morning. It was cold. We were at like 12,000 feet. I was like completely out of my element in like all cases. Mm -hmm. Um, and then after like two runs, I was good. And the mountain bikers were so pumped on it. They were like, holy shit. I didn't know drones could do this. And one of the mountain bikers was a kid I used to race with like eight years ago. So that kind of like took me down to like a big one. Yeah. I was like, yo, what up, Brian? (laughs) (laughs) Um, so that kind of like, uh, made it a bit more casual, but it's definitely, I don't know. Like I love, I can't shred freestyle super hard with people around or like it takes me out of my element, but filming to me Mm -hmm. is like so much more like don't touch the sticks, keep it in frame, keep it chill. Right. But even like this other photographer, like she got pretty close to you. I mean, what did you have to kind of map your, your space or did you walk the, the line you were going to film? Like, how did you know that, you know, you weren't flying too close to someone that you may not see in the shot? See, that was the issue because I would take a practice run. Like we would 
we started at the top of the mountain and then we would go down the trail in increments of what I could get video on. So if that was like a quarter mile, a couple hundred yards, we would just walk down the trail and I'd be like, okay, I think we can film this section if I stand here um, and then like go around that. And I would always take a tr- practice run so that I could see like how far I could push the video in either direction of where I was standing. But the issue was that she would move around, you know, like she wouldn't like post mm. up in a spot and be there for like five packs. She would mm. like be there for half a pack, move somewhere else, be there for another half a pack and then just like dodge around. So really I just like cut her out of my, you know, whatever mm-hmm. realm, like my focus realm and just went for it. Um, which like totally worked out in the long run, but I wasn't too concerned about it. I was more concerned about hitting the mountain bikers because it was yeah. really, it's always weird filming something gravity based and especially like really burmy turns that change elevation. Like their speed was changing so dramatically. Like they'd just like bomb a downhill berm, gain a lot of speed, then the trail would flatten out and like, I don't have brakes. So it was like, how do I shave this speed off and keep them in frame? So how'd you do that? Uh, that you know, like that juicy move that I do when I'm not filming shit, where I like kind of like knife edge and like yaw backwards. Mm-hmm. A lot of that going on. Um, yeah. Did you have to do anything with the camera angle, like going downhill, like giving it some downward angle? Or uh, I didn't have to go all the way downward angle, but I rocked zero degrees for most of it. Like my GoPro was mm-hmm. flat. Which was weird because mm-hmm. I started filming on the low flow, which has like a 22 degree angle. And after like mm-hmm. two runs, I checked the GoPro and I was like, yeah, like they're not fully in frame for the whole run. So then I switched to the MQC Fusion because I put an adjustable <clears throat> GoPro mount on it and it was 5S. And at 12,000 feet, 4S on the Johnny Props at 2400 KV was just no bueno. Yeah, I would think the adjustable mount is like money for having all sorts of different types of filming situations like you were doing. Yeah, and even like just the trail changing. Like top of the mountain, trail was super steep. Lower mountain, it was not steep at all. So it was good just to have that being changed. But I will say that filming in the 4-3 aspect ratio helped. Like I got a lot of a lot of vertical real estate to capture something. And I ran a more aggressive angle on my FPV cam. So I was like, okay, if they're at the bottom of my FPV cam, like in my goggles, I know I got them in the GoPro. Mm-hmm. Um, what about like some of the rearward facing GoPro mounts? Like I've seen some footage, maybe it was air blaster where, you know, it's like a reverse chase where the, the mountain bike is like chasing the drone. Yeah, um, I would, like if I did it again, that is something I would do. And um, like I wasn't knocking cool. on it in the last episode, but I was like underwhelmed with the air blaster frame from X Hover until I went on the shoot. And then like mm-hmm. th- even the fact that it's just a simple frame, um, like there's nothing they didn't reinvent the wheel or anything. But having the like different places you can mount GoPros and like mount it um, facing backwards and stuff like that, I think is invaluable. But I think getting that shot would take a lot of time and commitment from like the talent and from myself because it's really like a roulette shot unless you had like headset radios on. Because I would be like, I would follow them. Like, if I was going to do it, this is how I envisioned it because we talked about it um, with the guys from Aspen, and it was like I would have to follow them down the trail. 
and then do it again with them behind me and then they would just have to hit the brakes if they think they're going to hit me or like you know i would be like the pace car like i would mm-hmm. be like hey i'll fly a little slower but just stay on me um yep. but the the weird thing is like i filmed like f- maybe five six mountain bikers through the course of the day and all their skill levels and speeds were different like the kid i raced with um, he raced pro and he was just straight murdering it. That's that clip I sent you. Like he was just going so much faster. Um, there was another dude that was like almost as fast, but he's a bit more steezier. Like he was getting whips out and stuff like that. And then everybody was like a great rider, but I feel like if you race mountain bikes, then you just like, you know, he was like pumping every piece of terrain to gain speed. And he was like, just really riding aggressively versus the other people who weren't like coasting, but they were just like sessioning a bit more. Mm-hmm. So did you get all up close and personal with them on the on the trail? How close did you get? Uh, like the closest I got was probably like eighteen inches off their back, um, and like I I got like that was when I had to like pull back and just like power loop out of there. I was like, this isn't gonna work out. I got to get out of here. Um, but like comfortably continuous shot, probably like three feet out. Nice. That's gonna look sick. Dude, it's going to look so sick. Um, and that was just the mountain bikers. The zip line was even weirder um, just because it's like I can't go up because there's all these wires hanging. And you'd think these people would go a constant speed, but they had brakes on them. And, like, some of these people were mm-hmm. less ballsy than others. Like, I was like, let me do a test run with one of the staff members. And this dude's, like, hanging upside down like a monkey going off this thing, just, like, zooming down the zip line. And I was like, okay, he's mobbing. And then – the next person to go was like uh like a little a little kid it was like a nine year old ten year old girl um and she just didn't have any weight, you know like her the inertia wasn't there, and uh so like there was just a lot of variables like um versus like a six foot dude hitting a zip line going like forty five and you get like a nine year old girl who weighs like seventy pounds wet, yeah um, yeah engaging that um but yeah. And then uh, on the last day, I filmed the Alpine Coaster, and that was the scariest filming session of my life. Why was that? Because it's like a roller coaster through the woods with, like, hundreds of cables and structures and signage and, like, also people going speeds, like, at their own consent. It's got a brake on it. And there was, like, same thing. Like, one cart would be going way slower, and then you'd get, like, a teenage kid ripping, and he was just like, woo! like sending it down the mountain no breaks um and we had the alpine coaster for an hour and aspen got 25 volunteers and they just got to ride it continuously for an hour like didn't have to get out of the car just up and down for an hour straight so like they were loving it um but it was just like me flying through the woods basically not trying to hit shit and trying to keep something in frame and the coaster had cages on some parts around it so I had to be, like, in between these, mm-hmm. like, sidewall cages chasing a cart through structures and stuff like that. Um, and that's the only place that I tagged a tree branch and just bent one prop. Um, nice. But So how many how many people were out there, like, in the crew and stuff? Um, I mean, like, the film crew was just two of us. Cool. So I work with a dude named Andy who creates all of, like, the social media content for Aspen. He did like 450 pieces of content last year. He was stoked on it. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, super chill guy. Had killer camera gear. Um, and 
he had way more gear than I did. He had like a, like a full low pro, um, backpack full of like lenses and like a big video camera, not like a DSLR camera, like a proper camera with like a G series Sony lens and just some big stuff. Yeah. That's sick. Have you ever had like a director want to put on goggles and like guide you in terms of the, the cinematography? No, but that'd be so nice, honestly, because sometimes I'm right? like, what the fuck am I doing out here? You know, because yeah. like, we always have like a meeting. I'm like, how do you feel about this spot? What kind of vibe do you want to get from it? What kind of shot? Um, and when I did the ski shoot, and that was also with Andy, um, I brought an FPV monitor, but it was more of like a novelty. He wasn't using it as like a tool. He was just like, yeah, this is so sick. You know, mm-hmm. he wasn't like, yeah, like live talking to me, like go left, closer, pull back you know right 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 make it more dramatic with with my nephew last week right i was telling you i gave him the goggles for the first time he's like oh fly through the trees you know was it kind of nice having that direction yeah right (laughs) (laughs) having someone to tell me to be more creative yeah yeah. probably am because even when i'm not filming um or like doing anything for a purpose i'm just out flying sometimes i'll just get like stuck like you know when you pull off a crazy trick and you just barely make it and then you just fly straight for like 30 feet and you're like okay what's next yeah 100 percent um but yeah crazy experience oh that's awesome man um, so after doing, doing those, uh, those four different events, I guess you might call them, right. You, uh, you, did you have to change your angle much depending on if you were going downhill with the biker or across with the zip line? Yeah. I probably took it from like zero to 15 degrees. Like nice. in that range is where I kept it. Um, the zip line was the steepest angle cause it was pretty flat. So I had to have a lot of yeah. forward thrust. Um, the coaster and the mountain bikes were pretty similar. The coaster was pretty steep for what it was. Um, <clears throat> and the mountain bikes had the least amount of angle, especially on some sections of trail where it was like, it wasn't vertical or anything, but it's just like, mm-hmm. like I didn't want to walk down it kind of trail. Right. You know? Right. And um, so uh, we were talking about filming rigs. You were talking about the X hover rig a little bit. So that adjustable GoPro mount you like? Yeah. Um, like in the middle of the shoot, um, so I started on the low flow and then I went to the MQC after like two packs with the adjustable mount. And then like six packs later, I was like, now I get it. Air blaster. Like, I know why you did this. Just having so many options, you know, like you could be on the same section of trail and just get like three different kinds of shots with like that kind of mounting system and really like Mm -hmm. add value to your time, um, versus just being like, everything's a chase shot always because Mm -hmm. I felt like, um, you know, like if I'm critical about it, it gets redundant. Like I try to get creative with like panning around the mountain biker and stuff like that. But like on the zip line, I couldn't really, like, I think you could do a very similar job with like a 360 cam on a pole. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I don't think I added like that much dynamic value to chasing a zip liner, like mountain bikes, definitely coaster, definitely zip line probably could do it with a 360 cam on a pole. (laughs) Yeah, you're probably right. Just because there's like not, I mean, there's like a cable hanging over them, so you can't really like get too crazy with it. Like there's always that happening. 
Um, and then like, it's, you know, their, their trajectory is so terminal and set in its way that you can't really, like, I was like trying to pan around them and like flip over them, which like looks cool if you're an FPV person. But if you're like a 50 year old millionaire scrolling through Aspen's Instagram, I get it, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) maybe not as cool. So, uh, what are some of the other, uh, gigs you want to go after? Is it more stuff like that or you want to, the new Um, areas? Definitely more mountain biking. Like it was a full circle moment coming from mountain bike racing and filming mountain bikers. And I could like talk to them about it, you know, and like get what they were doing. And there was like a point where the trail, like it was, we hit a couple of trails and one of them was like a closed down one. And I could tell that, um, a few people, few of the riders hadn't ridden it yet. And like, I was like, you guys don't have to worry about hitting this and then i would be like hey can you like apex a little harder here and hit the hip like going this way a bit more because i'm going to put my drone right here and so Mm -hmm. it was like i kind of understood what they were doing um as the talent versus like the roller coaster and stuff like that like you can't change it at all you know it's just like i wanted to be like can we duct tape all the brakes on all these road <laughs> on all these coaster carts so these dudes just have to go the same speed all the time cuz it's really hard if like one person's bombing and then the next person is like just slams the brakes going into a turn and i'm like the guy at the bottom said it takes 3g's take it to 3g's and do it every time so i can get used to the same speed every time um right but the mountain biking definitely, and then um, this to me made chasing drift cars seem like club med because you can't hit a person; <laughs> you can just hit a um, object. Right, right. There's no one. There's no one walking around that that track. Fortunately. Yeah. yeah, and there's no like you can't hit someone in the throat with a flying blender. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um. And mountain biking. Speaking of which, sure. yeah. Yeah, did you see that DDE footage, the FPV stuff? Um, uh, marginal at best. <laughs> uh, yeah, for all the I'm listeners to... that don't know, DDE is Daily Driven Exotics. Uh, it's a YouTube channel that Greg and I both enjoy because um, it's like crazy Lambos as Daily Driven Exotics. And they recently, for the first time, posted <clears throat> a vlog with FPV footage in it and I don't know who filmed it, and, like, no offense to that person, but that looked mad illegal, and that footage was shaky as fuck. Like, good job on the sales pitch getting in there, like, however you managed yeah, it. Yeah, mad, mad hustle, right? <laughs> yeah. Getting that on there. But, you know, all that all that stuff DDE does, I mean, I don't, I don't know if they have filming permits to be doing donuts in the middle of PCH in Malibu, but... Why do you think he keeps his? Why do you think he lives in Canada still? (laughs) (laughs) Can't find him. You gotta send those tickets out of state, out of country. Yeah, that's why he's got. That's why he's like, no, I still live on uh, Vancouver Island or whatever. (laughs) I just fly down here for this. Keep the cars down here because he can just be like, in my province. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, in my province, we don't have front license plates, and in my (laughs) province, I can do sideshows in the middle of the freeway. Yeah, I can do all-wheel drive donuts in my. Yeah, I was like, you know, I was trying to check out how legal is doing something like that, you know. And we were talking about soft targets, and I know you got your Part 107 recently, and um, I was looking up some of the laws earlier, and there was something about, you know, like if you're flying, if the, if the operator's in a moving vehicle, 
you need to be flying over like a desolate area. And when they talk about flying over soft targets who are undercover, um, that only applies to parked vehicles. That doesn't apply to a moving vehicle because now you could be just you know tracking I mean? a driver danger. or something or land landing in in the path of a tire you know i don't know if one i really doubt it could pop a tire but you know it could definitely make a driver super- swerve like i imagine some soccer mom just being like starbucks cup oh shit you know bro if you got some 24 inch blades on that car that the quad could lock up those tires you know it could get in between the wheel well it could you know it could fuck your day up not traffic. my prius i know right <laughs> yeah um, uh, and I think that footage was like kind of in the gray area. Like if DDE hasn't like, I think what DDE does on a regular basis in their vlogs with exotic cars in public areas is way shadier and punchable mm-hmm. than what was done with that drone. Cause I don't think the FAA is going to look at that and be like, like, I don't think they're, they're probably not even going to look at it, but like, I think like California Highway Patrol and like LAPD would look at that clip and be like, yo, if you mm-hmm. see this guy, pull him over. Mm-hmm. And whoever the drone pilot was kept it faceless. Like it wasn't in the con- like I looked in the description, it wasn't in there. No, it's it's not faceless. I said what up to him. He they were out in San Francisco today actually. Oh, uh, okay. Um, yeah. And you know, I don't think he was he probably handed the footage over to those guys. And he was talking about his quad going 140 miles an hour. That's what he said in the video. And I'm like, damn, that's pretty fast, bro. But he ra- he raced the uh, Squadra Corsa. Dude, on, 140 uh, miles an hour? I'm like, bro, that's swinging some big-ass blades if it's going 140. Like, what is that, 8-inch? Well, no, have you, have you seen those, like, 160-mile-an-hour rigs that people were building for a while, like, trying to get to 200? What are they, just super high KV, like, lightweight rigs? Yeah, you're definitely not doing it with the drag coefficient of a GoPro on there. Like, I... I like every rig I've seen is like it's like a pod um rig and it's like meant to fly vertical. Like the camera is facing like out of the top of the stack. You know? Yeah. Like just ninety degree camera angle, the pod is Maddie stunts. Yeah. The Maddie um, angle. Yeah. Even yeah, you like even more like than Maddie. Um and I just don't think you'd be doing that with a GoPro. Yeah, and I mean, he he could have been hauling ass, and I, I think it's probably hard to fly super, you know, I bet it's hard to get a rig to fly super steady at that kind of speed when, you, when you're that amped up, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Like, literally amped up, you know Literally, saying? just drawing the amps. <laughs> just just drawing hard, bro, just drawing hard. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, you know, I think it's super cool, but that's like a monetized channel, right? Like, you need to, be, like, when I look at that, I'm like, fuck, that'd be cool to fly some shit like that. But you need a part 107, and you need a film permit, and you need to be doing the right shit. And I'm like, all right, well, maybe they're doing that, but I don't know. Yeah, do you know if this kid's got a 107? No clue, dude. No clue. I hit him up because, right, they were coming through. They're going to some car show, I think, out in in Canada, and they wanted to – they drove through San Francisco and were taking a bunch of pictures near the bridge and stuff and – probably getting some footage and they were i saw them bro they were parked right out at um not near like it's near this fort mason place right um in uh, in san francisco where you have a view of the bridge and i've i've um gone out there to fly but like people will yell at you they'll be like yo is that a drone you're gonna get a ticket like an 800 hundred dollar ticket 
blah, 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 blah. So you can't focus. You can't fly out there. It's not chill. And like all the runners and all the tourists and all of them, they're like super skittish about like, you know, tourist people out there with drones and stuff. So, um, you know, California's bad. San Francisco is even worse when it comes to like that kind of stuff, right? No, it's so a I'm toy quadcopter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's that's my ploy every time. It's just a it's a little toy helicopter. Don't drop oh. that buzzword, man. Drone. Dude, don't do it. The D word. <laughs> the D, the D, D word. <laughs> don't give him the D. <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah, so I'm I'm curious, you know, did he get away with doing some donuts on the Golden Gate Bridge? I, I hope he did. Like, I hope he did too. I would love to see that footage. Um, I would love, love to see, see that footage if it if it was filmed with an FPV quad. I would like it to be at least sixty percent more smooth. Yeah, well, whatever. You, you know, I just. Uh... You know, I think we all want to be able to fly, and if if people do illegal shit, then it puts us all everything we do and have fun with at risk. You know? Um, yeah. Um, like I would love to go fly the fucking Salesforce Tower, bro, tallest tower on the West Coast. Dive that shit, and like it's it's gray, it's borderline legal depending on how you do it. I've even depending shown on you, who get who you get caught by. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've even shown you the takeoff spots and like the direct line of sight and like yeah, dude, you were you were like this you is can... where I would stand hypothetically. This is the spot. Yeah, and dude, it's funny because like in San Francisco and I think in many major cities, you're actually obligated to have um, a public space that has public access. And one of these like historical public access places in San Francisco, um, right in downtown, is at uh, on the. Uh, roof of this building of this hotel and so you can just take an elevator up there there's a little park bench and you got a perfect little spot that no one's ever up there and you got perfect line of sight right up the tower you know but it's question questionable it's no it's definitely illegal right there's going to be soft targets all around the bottom of the base of that building like you can't guarantee clean clean landing like you're you know yeah so and God knows what the R like. I don't have an RF meter, but God knows what the RF is like, and at that level around all those buildings with all those antennas, and that's know, exactly my point. That's exactly yeah. my point. It takes a little more thought and planning than just ordering up a fucking TBS crossfire and being like, "I'm gonna hit this spot," Send and like it. just hoping for the best, dude. You know, you want like you know, you want like thirty flights on a quad with no crashes to know that like you're all good. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, I just, like, I mean, like, Steel did it right with that Atlanta dive, like, New Year's Day or whatever, no people, RF meter. Empty. Crank that shit up to one watt, probably, that's what I would do. Plug in the external battery and, like, just send it. Um, But, like, I feel you, because there's, like, like, I've always thought it would be so sick to weave traffic with an FPV quad. You know, like traffic going like 45 miles an hour, slight traffic jam, but still moving and just yeah. like getting in between cars and shit would be so fun. Um, but unless someone's filming The Walking Dead and needs that footage, it's probably not going to happen. Yeah, I mean, tell me, dude, you're the 107 pilot. Is I don't think that's technically legal in any way. F- weaving cars? Yeah. I mean, if you're like below the mirrors, I guess you're not flying over anybody. 
No, I don't think I don't think that's in the rule books, bro. I think moving vehicles are a whole different story. Like there's rules on parked vehicles. Yeah, I so, think it to I, be. I mean, it's like speeding. Found. You know, like if you don't get caught, nothing. Like I mean, the smoking tire one takes. Matt Fair is clearly speeding in every single video, but he just never yep. shows the speedometer. And like the DD guys are doing mad illegal shit all the time. Like you're definitely not allowed to just do donuts wherever you want, <laughs> you know. Um, nope. But it's like for me, I think it's the risk. It's like I wouldn't want to like now that I have the 107. Now that I'm doing filming gigs and like making money off of this, I wouldn't want to do anything that would set me back or like attach fly life to like yo did you see that fly life clip you know like uh, yeah you got too much to lose man yeah um we can always reference the jo airplane clip you know yeah worst worst decision making in history of fpv yeah you know how people are like oh if i ever just need to take myself out i'm gonna go out doing heroin or whatever like i feel like if i'm ever going to get out of the fpv hobby i'm going to like dive the empire state building or like do something ridiculous and put it on youtube and be like sayonara i'm out mount rushmore fpv sesh just yeah it's the uh figurative slitting of your own throat right there posting that kind of footage yeah i mean it'll like the day has got to be it's statistically has to happen where something bad happens like I know it was like a year ago where that like super young uh, kid slash baby got hit in the face with a quad at a park. Mm -hmm. I forget who it was. Luckily, the mother of the baby was not so happy and super chill and not connected to any major news outlets. (laughs) But like the day's got to happen, you know, like I'm like if I was a news um, station, like I would hop on that shit. Like if a quad was mm-hmm. diving that skyscraper in San Fran and like fail safed and landed like on the windshield of a car, mm-hmm. be all over it, all over it. I'd be like, I got the story, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, that day's probably gonna come. I just hope they punish the person, not the hobby. Like we, I've said that before, but send them to Guantanamo. I don't give a fuck. I mean, we've seen what happens with gun laws, man. They're gonna, they're not gonna blame the person. They're gonna blame the access yeah. to these things, you know. Um, which, honestly, too, like if they made the regulations stricter, like the 107 harder to get, or you had to like do more, I would totally do it, and then I would just charge more. You know. Hmm. What if, I mean, what if you had to be certified and, like, register your name every time you bought a TBS VTX or any VTX over, like, 200 milliwatts? Fine. I'd do it. Like, and I think, I mean, I don't know if that'll happen with VTXs, but, like, Canada just changed their own laws. And I think if they're going to, like, really, if, like, Amazon delivery and, like, commercial drones are going to be a thing and the FAH um, changes the beyond visual line of sight laws... Then the government's really going to have to look at regulating harder. Like, if there's Amazon mm-hmm. packages flying overhead or whatever, like defibrillators on call, whatever comes to be, then there can't just be, mm-hmm. like, phantoms and shit. Like, FPV is, like, such a weird area because, like, the elevation is so low. You run out of battery before you could even get close to a plane for the most part unless you get, like, a 7-inch rig or something like that. Mm-hmm. But like drones in general, it's the it's the phantoms that's gonna fuck us. Totally. 
or maybe and they're going to get cheaper and cheaper. Yeah, you know, they're going to get to a point where the price point on a drone is what, like two hundred bucks for like a good one. It'll get high enough to disturb like some yeah. Amazon flight path, right? Yeah, it's, and then the headline's going to be like eighteen-year-old high school graduate or terrorist question mark. You know. Yeah. Um. I think we're in like a good time though. Like the the access is still kind of low, so it's not it's not really a problem yet, at least that any of us know of. Yeah, like the access is still kind of low, and in terms of like making money with drones, like I feel, you know, like real estate photography and videography and stuff is super saturated. Um, but I think like the outside industries are starting to realize that FPV quads are like a very skill based thing. Like you need someone. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you just got to be able to get the shot, like, on command, basically. And it's not like, it's not like a Phantom or, like, a Mavic or something. Like, you really got to be Maverick kind of level of locked-in-ness where you can just deliver. Dude, what do you think about Horizon Lock for, for like, real cinema, right? So, like, when we watch FPV videos, we see the quad bank in the turn. You know what I mean? And if you look at, like pro photography that's done or pro videography cinematography whatever you want to call it we using drones with gimbals like usually that's like a, a yaw motion that's on axis horizon locked more of like filming whereas like i think a lot like of the fpv videos they try to evoke a certain feel or like vibe to the flight by banking and doing things that are not really something that a cinematographer might do with the camera like what do you think about that I think it's circumstantial. Um, full disclosure, every video I've ever made with my Cinewhoop has Horizon Lock uh, turned on in Real Study Go. And I think it like it fits a certain type of shot. But like going to the like Aspen thing, like filming a mountain biker through a berm and like or like off a wall ride and like matching the angle of the wall ride or the berm, you know, you don't need. I think it really is circumstantial. Like it depends on the shot, it depends on what you're filming. If you're just making like a Cinewhoop edit or like trying to make something super cinematic without a subject, Horizon Lock is dope. But if you're following like a skier doing like a double cork, then I think it's almost like a more dynamic shot if you're kind of like matching his angle, which was a conversation I had um, with the Aspen folks because they were like, what kind of shots do you think you're going to do? Because when I met him, I was filming the skier and he was doing like double corks and I was getting pretty pretty crazy with it like flipping over him while he was doing it and stuff like that and i was like i'm just gonna match the vibe of what i'm filming like a mountain biker is just making turns i'm just gonna make turns with him skiers doing yeah. like double corks i'm gonna flip over him as he's doing the double cork and i just try to like just match the vibe of what's happening in front of me yeah totally and if like if you show that footage to um someone that may have been doing cinematography for a long time these are like camera changes and camera automation. Uh, you know, th these are things that they've tried to do through automation that you're doing basically through piloting, right? Um, getting these thumbs. different angles and yeah, pretty much, right? Yeah, and that's what the mountain uh, bikers were saying too. They were like, um, it was funny too because they called it like the drone a Rubik's cube, which is funny because there's like the trick of Rubik's cube. But they were like, this thing is a Rubik's cube of endless shots. Like you could do. You know, you can be, like, next to a mountain biker, flip over him, be on the other side, flip in front of him, and then flip back behind him. 
And if you, like, speed ramp all that shit together, then you basically just created, like, out of, like, a 20-second segment, like, five different shots you can slow down and create, like, a minute-long clip out of, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's super dynamic because your time ramps go, like, over the subject or around it, and it just looks super sick. Um, but then, like, the Mega B video I did where I was just flying around campus, like, horizon lock is necessary. I don't want to see myself angle into a turn. Yeah. Yeah, that's actually something I was trying recently because of watching your drift video. Like I was thinking like how do I use the speed ramping to transition between camera angles, right? And so I tried to fly like a few really steady lines with some mo- maneuvers between those lines and then speed ramp through those maneuvers, right? Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. Like like steady line, snap move, another steady line, snap move, another steady line. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're filming, I don't know, like 120 frames or whatever, um, then you really only have to grab, like, what, a s- one yeah. to th- five seconds of a certain angle before you snap right. it. Like, it's pretty, like, in the moment, real time, when you're piloting that way, you're doing it pretty quick. But then when you're in post editing, you can really stretch out mm-hmm. um, the moment. Yeah. And if you got, if you're filming in 120 and you got, you're exporting in a 30, 30 frame timeline, right? That's like quarter speed. Yeah. So like two seconds of footage is really like eight seconds. Boom. Boom. Diversify those bonds, son. Um, yeah, dude. Like the, the Aspen shoot, I did all 60 and like, I'm just now editing the footage cause I had a real steady, like 68 gigs worth of footage. Mm-hmm. It took me like nine hours today to do it all. It sucked, um, but I actually. But then I ended up dropping it to a twenty-four frame timeline, which I've been like we've talked about it, like tossing around the idea of dropping down to a twenty-four, twenty-four frame timeline, and at mm-hmm. six, sixty FPS, that lets me go to forty percent speed without any glitch effect. You know. Um, yep. And I I thought about going to one twenty ten eighty because I was filming on the six for real steady go. But like the um, you know like Aspen was filming in 4K 60, and so I figured I would keep it at 2.7 and like try to keep it a bit closer versus like going straight to 1080. Which like 1080 is still great, but it's like in a commercial pitch level. I I feel weird just saying like, hey, this is in 1080. Yeah, and like in post, they want to they want as much screen real estate as they can to work with, right? So when you got 4K, they can crop, zoom, pivot you know, do all sorts of crazy shit. Yeah. And if I, yeah, if they're at 4k and I'm at 2.7 and their final video is at 1080, then they have so much leeway, especially on their 4k clips. And then also with the 2.7 K clips. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that's a dream, right? 120, 4k, no crop wide on the GoPro with basically the old firmware from the hero six. Bro. Yeah. I felt like everybody was like, oh, are you filming on the Hero 7? And I was like, no, I have one with me, though. You don't understand, bro. You don't understand. You're like, I got three Hero 7s, but I'm filming on the 6, and don't ask why. Yeah, it was. uh, And, I mean, like, thank God Real Steady Go exists. Like, taking, I mean, like, so I spent, like, nine hours stabilizing all that footage, but I also watched, like, two movies 
and like played some Xbox, you know, like I just had on my laptop, I had like Amazon Prime video playing and then I'd like switch to Forza for a bit. If it was a long clip that needed to stabilize for like 10 minutes, go run some hot laps. But if it was, uh, if it was a full version of Real Steady, um, I might have these clips done by the time I'm 35. (laughs) And it was funny too, because like I'm in the middle of it. It was, I was like halfway through and, uh, the one and only Jesse Perkins hit me up and he's like, yo, I just did a video for this local arcade. Can you stabilize it for me? And I was like, yeah, absolutely, man. Um, what'd you film it on? And it was like a hero six. And I was like, Oh dude, I'll just sneak this in. You know, it'll be like 15 minutes, no worries. And then he like sends me a message back. It's like, Hey, and just so you know, I accidentally had stabilization on, so you can't use real steady go. And I was just like, fuck. Oh, well, that's a good question. Like, why didn't um, the hyper smooth work, or why didn't the stabilization work? For it was me? all choppy. No, for him. Um, it wasn't choppy. It just wasn't smooth enough. Got it. Um, yeah, like what? Like he? I mean, I'm, I don't want to like blow up his shot, but there was like like talk about what he was doing. But there was just like there was a part where he had to shoot like into a gap coming from a big space going into a small space, and it was just like tough to line up. And even, mm-hmm. you know, like it was stable, but you could still kind of see the stick inputs a good amount. Yeah, yeah. No, it's n- it's nothing against like his capture or whatever. I think it's kind of like when, like I, you know, I used to record a lot of audio. And if you get a session that you're supposed to work on and the guitar already has reverb on it, right? Like, or it's already heavily compressed. Like then you go and put your reverb on it. It doesn't turn out how it's supposed to. Right. Yeah. So like always having that raw file. And so, that you know, HyperSmooth is awesome. Right. Especially with the update. But that that ability to keep that raw file and basically process it however you want is pretty awesome. Dude, it's it's priceless. And I think for 99 percent of people using a GoPro, HyperSmooth has got to be so sick. Like if you're a skateboarder, mountain biker and you're just like semi casually trying to get some clips and get some content like there isn't a better turnkey option. Um, but if you're getting paid for footage and you just can't rely on the camera making decisions without you, hundred you know, percent. Like I would, I would be so pissed if I had hyper smooth on, and uh, the clip looked great except for like one turn of the mountain biker. Um, that would just really grind my gears for a while. Like it would, it would make me lose sleep, um, and I would feel so bad like submitting that footage. Which and then, but like with real study, you can just. You know, if it gets a little weird, you can keyframe it. I ended up turning down the smoothness so much on my clips, so I got the bigger crop. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, it starts out at 50% or whatever. It's, like, halfway through the, st- um, what you would call it, like, smoothness scale. It's in the middle, and I would turn it to two clicks short of zero just so I could get more um, visual real estate. Because the more you stabilize, See, it zooms in, you know. Yeah, that was going to ask you that because, like, you know, I've kept it pretty close to center. You know, I've gone up and down the scale, but not all the way to the bottom. Will it still stabilize down there? Is it still cropping in a little bit? It still crops in a little bit, and I think it depends on, um, you know, like, I think that's the part of Real Steady that you can't mask skill. Like, if you're going to turn that stabilization all the way down and try to get the mm-hmm. most out of what the camera sensor is seeing, you still got to be flying smooth. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and I, I mean, like I said before, I, I don't, maybe that was with you, somebody, but like real steady does not correct for throttle. Like oh. it won't change the horizon moving. It'll change right. how smooth it is and whatnot. But like if you're two feet off the ground and then five feet off the ground and then back to two feet, real steady doesn't change that. Like you still got to have that shit on lock. Yep. And just like we were talking before, like, you know, if you're going to fly freestyle maneuvers in the air where you're moving a lot, you know, and you crank that smoothness down, um, you know, you can still see those stick inputs. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, like, for more cinematic stuff, zooming in, but like you said, it won't won't, uh, correct any altitude changes, so... Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's really a crutch for freestyle. In fact, like we were saying, I think you know, non-stabilized footage really displays the the maneuvers of the quad a bit better. In the tune, because that center axis, yeah, center axis stays. Yeah, um, yep. it's like getting a dope camera doesn't make you a dope photographer. You know, you still got to like understand composition and color grading and all this shit. And then if you have that dope camera, it just takes it to that nth level. But a dope photographer could also take your iPhone and probably whip up some shit you could never think of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, there's going to be footage that's, like, cinematic based on the location. Like, you're at this epic spot, and you just want to film it, and that's really what the viewer is supposed to get from that. But when people are flipping through the trees, right? I don't think the the viewer is like, oh, look how beautiful this scenery is. It's more of like a display. Like, (laughs) it's like, and it's an exhibition of someone's skills on the sticks. And so when you try to smooth it, like it's cinematic, it's like, wait a second. You're like, you know, I want want to see you fly this freestyle stuff. Otherwise, it's like like slow motion Nuremberg footage, like in in (laughs) car, you're like, I don't care. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's not really why I'm here. Yeah, exactly. Um, like, I want to see you rail in those turns. Yeah, it's like almost visceral, right? But then, like the cinematic stuff, it's like I don't want to see a snap roll. Like, you know what I mean? Don't show me your piloting when you're trying to show me the the landscape or the or the scenery. And then when you're not showing me scenery, like, don't try to smooth out your piloting, right? It's like I want to. It's kind of that thing. Yeah, which is an interesting point because, like, like, I had Nub on my list of people to have on the show, and then I put out that drip video, like, two weeks ago, and he was like, yo, this is sick, but you should post the raw footage. And, like, my comment back was like, hey, you want to come on the podcast and talk about it? Because he was, like, already on my short list. And um, it takes me back to, like, what Air Blaster said. It's like, this is a camera platform for me, you know? Like, I just see this as a way Mm -hmm. to capture a certain type of footage. And, like, he comes from the videography background, and, like, we come from the freestyle FPV background. So, like, for me, when I'm flying freestyle, no stabilization, when I'm selling footage for a price or, like, my time to people, then I just cater to what they expect. And if someone is not in FPV and just makes videos, I don't think they really care how clean your split S is. Like, they just want the watchable footage, and, like, that's what I'm going to tailor to, and that's how I'm going to fly, and that's when I switch to a Hero 6. Like, I fly all freestyle on a Hero 7, and my Hero 6 for everything filming that's going to get either production or Cinewhoop or anything like that. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it's, like, for me, it's the switch. It's, like, when I'm on a gig or I'm filming something, then it's a camera platform. If I'm going out to fly for fun and like build my skill and shred, then it's an FPV drone. Yeah. 
different. And, yeah, like, and pilots are less than one percent of the population, right? So you're gonna, <laughs> yeah, when you, uh, like, yeah, it's just different audiences. Yeah, and I was right. related to like, can I show this clip to my mom? Like, I can show my mom like these mountain bike clips all day, and she's like, this is so cool, or like my grandma or family and whatnot. But if I show her like that park edit I put out a little while ago, then any you know, like anybody's just like, oh yeah, this is cool question mark like it's sick that you can do it but after about 10 seconds they're like okay Mm-hmm. kind of takes one to know one right like if you can appreciate that stuff then you've held a remote like you've held a radio in your hand tried to pilot a quad like that's really the only way you could appreciate that yeah like you can't show a call of duty highlight reel to someone that doesn't play call of duty and expect them to like it yeah i mean no like uh, a rally car heel toe like pedal box video you mm-hmm. know like only a certain percentage of people even though all people drive cars mostly um only a certain percentage are gonna be like oh that's a sick heel toe video yeah i mean it's a lot like drifting right like i think you find like a, a lot of og motorsports people are like what are these guys doing they're just shredding tires around a track but like if you knew how much engineering went into those angle kits and like how much skill goes into whipping that rear end around with a hydro, like that's some real shit. And, you know, I think like people from like my dad's era, when, when they think about racing and motorsports, it's like, who can make it across the finish line? And then you get new sports that are like completely style based that are judged. Right. And they can't, you can't relate to it. Same with, yeah. It's the same with like, oh, look at this beautiful phantom footage. And then you show someone like, you know, someone's crazy freestyle at it. And they're like, whoa, holy shit. What is this? I can't watch that. Yeah, uh, <laughs> totally. Like people in the general population don't give a shit about Maddie flips. Um, and like EDM went through the same thing. Like people that played classic instruments or like like classic rock. And they're like, who's this guy pushing buttons up there? Like, this mm-hmm. isn't real music. And But you don't understand that, like, that dude pushing buttons up there probably spent, like, 50 hours in the studio on that one track, if not more, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Different it's strokes for different mix, folks. Bro. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not a bad thing, right? It's just that, like, I don't think freestyle footage is ever going to grow to, like, mass, mass yeah. awareness. It's going to be, like, RC scale. helis at best. Totally. Like you said, takes one to know one. But I will say, um, like from a paid gig filming stuff, being able to fly freestyle um, super well is priceless in a commercial setting. Because like Mm -hmm. if you got to hit the oh shit handle or you need to change the angle real quick and you can just like do it without thinking of it and just do like a roll real quick and just be on the other side of your subject. Um, mm-hmm. then like that, that shit is so priceless. You don't have to like retake, you don't fuck anything up. You don't hit anybody. Um, you know, like you're just so in control if you can do that type of freestyle flying that when you go to the cinematic mm-hmm. stuff, it's like, you know, super chill. Yeah. it's precision, right? Like it kind of reminds me, my buddy wants me to go hunting with him. He's in the, he's in like a tactical, you know, military unit. I'm like, first off, I don't even hunt. Right, so I'm not going hunting. But like, you know, I'm not gonna go hunting with this guy. You know, hunting's kinda competitive and this guy's like, hands you a knife, he's like, All right, let's do this. You're like, What? Yeah, he's got his M four with him. I'm like, Oh my god, like this guy's just gonna clean up on me. We're gonna take this one down by hand, all right? I'm gonna need you to sit in this tree for a while. 
I'll be I'll be your spotter. Yeah. Oh man. But yeah, you know, practicing, like getting out there and practicing that stuff, I bet just like totally gives you another level of confidence for for when you're around people or like in a situation where there's, there's like a gap you don't think you might be able to make or like, you know, anything like that, I bet. Yeah, totally. Um, throttle control is huge, you know, like just being able to stay at an elevation or like follow elevation super accurately or like filming that roller coaster um was like a lot of gaps going through the trusses of this thing and like they were the gaps were so big compared to like the smallest gaps i've hit or like those tree gra- tree gaps from that park edit and it's like such a long line into it versus like a nose flick into like a branch gap you know um and mm-hmm. i think the crazier you get with your freestyle and i don't mean like mxpx type of music crazy i just mean like (laughs) (laughs) you know like um like close to shit proximity the crazier you get while making it smooth um it totally just translates to filming um professional gigs especially action sports because that's basically what they're doing in their element they're like taking Uh it to that freestyle level in whatever medium they have and it's easier to match if you can do it also Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if the gear can necessarily keep up with what you can do with like the camera motion, if you know what I mean. Like a uh, GoPro Hero Six is not necessarily like professional quality. Now you're yielding like some really awesome footage out of that, and these guys are using it, and it's and it's very effective, right? But what like kind of like what Nurk's doing with um, Air Views with that bigger quad and the uh, Black Magic Cinema camera, like. Um, you I know, think I'm, I'm, did you see the Beverly Hills aerials Zenmuse gimbal on an FPV yep. quad? Right. I think, I think that is going to leapfrog, um, X class with a hard mounted DSLR. Yeah. Heavily. I think you get a rig like that in your hands and the type of content that you can put out will just be like, you know, unmistakable yeah. kind of thing. Fill your bank account, man. <laughs> yeah. Especially, I mean, if you had like if you had an FPV quad, like didn't you have to be an X class, maybe like a six hundred six hundred or like something a little smaller that could have a gimbaled cam on it. And the person that was controlling the gimbal like on the slave remote was also an FPV person. Like I think it, mm-hmm. you'd need that kind of intuition and stuff. Um yep. but if the person piloting the the quad and the person on the gimbal was an FPV pilot, then I think there'd be some real magic to be made because if the person on the gimbal right. understands what's happening, like if you took like a photographer and were like, Hey, can you control this gimbal? And then you were like split Sing over a drift car, they'd be like, I didn't even know you were going to do that. But if you were like with another FPV person and you were just like, Hey, like you could real quick be saying to each other and be like split S to the right. Um, and then you could just be in sync. They would understand what you're doing and there could be, you know, synergy bro yeah synergy all right so we're gonna get one of these rigs and you're gonna take me to your next gig so who's gonna fly the quad and who's gonna operate the camera um well who's paying for it let's start there because <laughs> that's gonna uh, depend on who's flying it <laughs> mm, okay well let's say i buy it i'll fly it all right i guess i feel pretty good about that yeah bro i got you I only bent one prop out of like thirty packs this week. It was chill. Oh no, I saw I saw you kicking some quads across the field and throwing some ND filters in the middle of the freeway or whatnot. 
Um, yeah, dude, I broke an ND filter on the shoot just putting it on my GoPro. Which one? The Freewell? Yeah. Did you? Yeah, I did the same thing, man. You press a little too hard on that thing. Yeah, I was pressing on it, and it just popped, like the lens popped through it, and I was like, oh, that's fucked uh, up. <laughs> I told you about that, that double-sided sticky tape on there. Man, shout out to Polar Filters, you know, let's get a discount code on some of those things. Yeah, um, I think I'll probably make the jump to Polar Pros finally. The Freewells, um, from like a visual standpoint, looked amazing, like their glass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they are nice. They worked really well. Um, I couldn't, like, I didn't see any, like, the footage wasn't degraded at all. Like, the Telesyn filters are amazing for freestyle, but they are, like, plastic, I'm pretty sure. And um, you do lose a little bit of crispness with them, which is mm-hmm. fine for when you're doing crazy tricks. Um, but, yeah, I just shattered one of those Freewell filters. Um, I just, like, snapped it on there. And it was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, I mean, they're nice. They have, like, machined aluminum bezels and stuff, and... I mean, and you get a four um, pack be, for half the price. Like no, like, yeah. I I would cheap. hop on the Polar Pro, and now I've probably sold myself on it. Um, but I was just holding out, like for not getting them, because I was like, a hundred bucks for three pieces of glass. I'm inevitably gonna shatter at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, my dad would say just use some CA on it. You know, just, yeah, uh, just CA that thing back together. Just. <laughs> Yeah, I, that takes me back to like what Jet said about stick-on ND filters. He was just like, I don't want a layer of adhesive between what I'm filming and my camera sensor, and I think that is so true. Like for freestyle, well, totally fine. No one's ever going to yeah. be able to tell you're moving that thing around so much. But if you're like doing a long line with a slow-moving subject, it looks so much better. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the biggest thing with that and the advantage of the Polar Pro is like think about how many layers of glass you got between your light source and like the sensor you know with a with a Freewell or Telesyn or whoever it is right you got a one so you got the the ND filter glass you got the lens glass and then you got the inner lens glass it's three with three the Polar layers. Pro you just got you know one less I guess yeah one um, yeah one less yeah, one less. But, and it's uh, quality. But, yeah. And they come with those little rubber seals, I guess, you know, that you put around the camera. They come in the Polar Pro Pack. I guess Tyler didn't uh, uh, didn't put his on there, and he took it in the pool. And the lens just filled up with water. And he was like, oh, fuck, I broke it. But, no, he just took the lens off, dumped the water out. But there's, like, a rubber O-ring. And I realized if you don't use that O-ring too, like it'll it'll seep light in. You remember those other like knockoff ones we were looking at, and they had the I got the them, yellow. Bro. I returned yeah, me them. too. I took like one pack, and I was like, "This is obnoxious." I mine too. Yeah, yeah. They went back when I saw your photos. I was like, "Oh hell no, I'm That's not even these motherfuckers." <laughs> was it just the light getting let in? Is that my issue? Because I have. Yeah, no one's gonna be able to see this, but I have like little sleeves for the GoPro. Mm-hmm. It's right here that I could just snap over that. I think that's what it was, right? Because it was like a gold circle. And so I think it was light getting inside the ND filter, reflecting off that gold bezel, and then back onto the camera. Yeah, it's like so cool like, for like one out of ten shots where you want some crazy vignetting or something. Mm hmm. Yeah. And like it seemed fine in video or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like, it was fine in non direct sunlight they look fine like if if it, if it was backlit <laughs> yeah and the flare looks like the fucking rings of saturn 
Yeah, you turn into the sun and you're like, oh shit, I'm on another planet. I was so pumped on those too. I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. and then I like I didn't look at the footage when I was flying, and then I came back home with like ten packs, and I was like, well, this is never getting posted. Bro, your footage deserves those Polar Pro. You should be like an ambassador, man. Get get a hookup on those. Yeah, I'm working on this uh, mountain bike edit. Um, Thank God, the Aspen Ski Company. Like when I went on the shoot um, first day, like before we even started, um, like I sat down with them. And I always ask, like, is it cool if I post Instagram stories about this? Is there anything you don't want? You know, like I try to be super transparent and like respect what they're wanting or like don't want because they're paying me to be there um but they were like yeah you can post videos from this you can do instagram stories you can make your own edits like super chill about it which was really cool because like when i did the ski shoot even though it was at aspen it was through a film company for columbia sportswear and like all that footage is embargoed like you've seen it um but i can't post it until like november and that by that point Mm -hmm. it's gonna be like seven months old Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't matter how old it is though dude it doesn't matter yeah well it'll be good because i'll be able to drop it in winter you know so everybody mm-hmm. listening to the podcast will be in the know but everybody else on instagram will be like oh sick yeah this is ski season <laughs> last season yeah which is i guess the ski i mean like that's why we shot it was for a ski movie for next season like that's how mm-hmm. you know like you film for the next year like film it in the spring and winter and drop it next fall or winter Dude, isn't it crazy how long some of these professional film companies hold on to that footage? Like, you know, I got I friends and family patience, bro. Yeah, who do some of that stuff. And they got footage that they've been sitting on for six years that they're going to do a documentary with, right? Crazy. I'd be, I mean, it, that would be tough for me in FPV. I don't know, maybe going forward it wouldn't be, but over like the last two years because like, the equipment, the cameras, and my skill has progressed on, like, such a level. Like, I went through my YouTube and deleted, like, or, like, made everything private before, like, January. Because mm-hmm. I was like, that was, you know, that was sophomore year. We're going to put that mm-hmm. away. Like, we're in junior year now. <laughs> yeah. A lot, a lot happens in a year. Yeah. And if someone comes across my social media avenue, like I've been cleansing my Instagram too slowly and like just deleting shit because it's like kind of is like a portfolio, you know, someone comes across it and you want it to be Mm -hmm. like the creme de la creme. And it like I've changed my outlook on it. Like I haven't dropped an edit in a while. Um, And now it's like I'll just drop something when it's fire, Mm -hmm. like hold out for it um, instead of just try to make like a video a day which like i was nervous about but the followers keep trickling in um after the fact anyway almost more so like i feel like i get obviously more likes when i post footage but i feel like i get more followers when i post footage like um spaced out mm-hmm. shout out on that 8k bro i didn't even know until you hit me up uh oh yeah yeah congrats on that man but you know, it's not about the followers bro it's about the content, you know. Just I, uh, yeah. Keep, keep crushing content. More so, um, but the followers definitely help. Ride those algorithms, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think at the end of the day, you want as big an audience as possible, but you don't, like, want the audience to – you don't want to cater the content necessarily to the audience always. Yeah, that that is definitely true. Um, I got stuck in that black hole for a while, too. Yeah. yeah, I'm just pulling out the Gary V, the Gary V uh, Cliff Notes, dude. 
just got them pulled up. Um, yeah. It's not yeah. about the followers, man. It's about the content. It's true. If you're more genuine with it, it might take longer, but when it hits, it hits harder. Yeah. But I mean, you look at the, um, uh, you look at the footage you're, you're producing. Like I would, you know, look at other pilots that produce, you know, the, the bucket of pilots that I would put you in is definitely at the top. You see some of their followers, like some of them are racing pilots. Some of them are YouTube celebrities, like, you know. Yeah. Big ups to steel hitting a quarter million this week on YouTube. That's dope. Right. Yes, man. Yeah. Helping us all make it more mainstream by making it more mainstream. Dude, his latest videos are so crazy. Dude, like totally not my style. Like I would never fly like that. I just don't have it. I don't even think like that when I have the goggles on. But that level of Jedi skill is just fucking stupid. Yeah. It's like heel flip, kick flip, varial flip. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like like nose do, manual. Do a kickflip, land, and like immediately ollie into like a laser flip. Yeah, just like that kind of level of Jedi ness. It's so sick. Um, yeah, not my style, but Jesus Christ, bro, you're on fuego. Super fire, dude. Um, dude, speaking of steel, um, I like the the not. I mean, it probably wasn't the first, but. His post about the DJI HD setup was the first I saw like an opinion on. Because like I was on this trip, so I wasn't like on my usual YouTube intake. So I was just scrolling Instagram and I saw like his picture with those goggles on. He was like, "Yeah, I've had it for months. No, I probably won't be doing a review, and no, I probably won't be switching to it." Yeah. But on that front, he also probably knew about the Fat Shark HD system for months too. Mm-hmm. Sure he he knows cool. about all that stuff. Yeah. I'm sure he's one of the first pilots that a lot of those companies go to. Yeah. Um, Which is dope because he has, like, the right outlook on gear, I think. You know? I would think, you know, he he hasn't changed his gear in a long time except for, like, KV setup, right? Yeah. Um, I would think he would be a really difficult consumer to convert or, like, become a champion of a product, you know? Because he's kind of a no-bullshit dude. He's like, nah, I don't need that feature. Nah, this works fine. Like, no, it's not a game changer. Yeah. So he's kind of like a hard dude to impress, I kind of feel. Which from, yes. you know, like I am i don't consider either of us like average consumers of like tech gear, you know? Nah. Um, I mean, like I want it to be like fully vetted. I want it to be, have an opinion on it from someone I trust. And like if Steele's got this setup that he flies all the time and like that's how I am with my low flows. Um, like I don't change shit because it, it works for me. Then like, I really respect his opinion and I'll listen to it. Like mm-hmm. if he was like, I'm going to be switching all my shit to this DJI system. I would be like, all right, this is food for thought. I'm going to set mm-hmm. some money aside, you know? Yep. And we, you know, there's a lot of self-proclaimed influencers out there. Like I think steel is probably like a legitimate influencer, you know, when someone, when a brand goes to him and they want him to talk about a product and he actually likes it. Like, I think exactly what you're saying, like you take credit in what he says. I mean, one of the few products that I bought without really much research was the, the rapid fire module. And it was only because we went to some meetup steel was at, and he was talking about the module and he talked about like openly what he didn't like about it, but he was still rocking it. Cause he thought it was like the best that he could really 
get at the time for what he was looking for. And so I just bought that module without even doing any research, right? Like, this so I think was- there's, yeah, there's people that you just completely take credit. Um, and so I thought, you know, I saw that post too when he was kind of saying, you know, no to the, yeah. to the new gear. Um, I mean, it's a pretty cool system. What do you think about it? I think it is a, such a step in the right direction um, in so many ways. Like, I would love HD video. I would love to see all those ghost branches. Um, I'd love to see better colors and just be more immersed in, vi- in my environment through those screens. Um, but I think the downfall is how proprietary it is. Um, you need the whole system. Um, from what I've heard, like the penetration isn't great. The temperature range that it functions in, um, isn't great. And, uh, I think the goggles look sick if, uh, you're a huge Halo fanboy or some shit, but I don't think they're like that sick for daily use. Mm. Like, I don't want to be at a park wearing fucking... Like an udder on your face, <laughs> dude. Yeah, dude. That's kind of what I thought when I saw. It. I was like, "Wow, that's like a that's like, like a, a bionic udder, like a strap on, <laughs> strap on udder." Yeah, I I think, um, but like I think you know, th- like we were saying, like I don't, I'm like we're not average FPV consumers or tech consumers. I'm gonna assume a lot of people that listen to this probably aren't, but like that product was definitely tailored towards like your average consumer like some dude that saw an fpv video doesn't want to deal with like all this shit that comes with mm-hmm. fpv like all these barriers to entry and can just get a turnkey option at best buy now mm-hmm. and i think that's really good because that like you know like fpv can only get better as more people are into it know about it it reaches more places in the world so like i think on that front it's a step in the right direction will i switch to it Definitely not, and especially mm-hmm. on the front of well, first of all, like the penetration, I need like the most penetration I can get. Like I dealt with like flying through the woods on this shoot, and like I really mm-hmm. needed to see as far as I could so I could go deep into these trees without having to move my location all the time. And if the temperature range really gets weird after a hundred, um, then that's fucked. Like, there's plenty mm-hmm. of places in the U.S. that get that hot on a regular basis in the summer. Like, if you know, and especially filming action sports. Like, I think of, like, dunes, dirt bikes, boating in hot places. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of environments that get to hot temperatures. And then I watched Tommy's video on it, and uh, the way it drops out, which, like, you know, that's not just DJI's HD system. Uh, Connex did the mm-hmm. same thing. But when you lose signal, it's not like it starts to fade out. It just, like pixelates drops out like you don't just like lose image quality you'd like lose it you know Mm -hmm. it's like freezing a computer it's like premiere 4k with six effects when you run out of range right Um, seems like it'd be a good solution for pretty close range stuff you know if you don't want to buy an action camera yeah and that's the other thing too um like i i need a gopro um, I, I'm fine. I like, I don't, not that you couldn't run a GoPro with it, but it just seems redundant. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Especially at the cost. Like one of the things that I hear people talking about is the price on it and what a rip off, like that's so expensive. But if you look at, but how much are HDOs and, and a rapid fire and a VTX and a cam exactly. and a GoPro? 
Exactly. You know, it's replacing four, four yeah. components pretty much. I think um, I, I think the cost isn't crazy, um, but no. like if you're, you know, like I run like a fleet of drones. I run two identicals and then like a cinematic filming and the Cinewhoop. And like for me to mm-hmm. switch all my systems to that, yeah, that's a fuck ton of cost. Like yeah. I don't know how much just the cam and the VTX are separate from the goggles, um, but it's got to be expensive. And you gotta love the you gotta love the goggles. You gotta love the radio. I mean, the goggles I mean? do have cooler places to put stickers. I will say that you yeah. got a little more real estate for some sick stickers. Mm-hmm. Um, but then no, today, they look, they look cool. I sent you um, that Fat Shark um, post from mm-hmm. the, like titled "Straight from China" and Fat Shark coming out with their own HD transmission. Yep. And uh, I don't want to you know like get my um hopes too high but i'll buy the shit out of that when it comes out just to try it yeah i mean it looks similar right it's like another it's another box that's running a digital feed yeah similar form factor i'm gonna assume it plays with hdos and like fat sharks yeah you know like i don't have to replace that um yeah seems so much better for yeah. the hardcore user. Uh, mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if the people at Connex are just like, fuck, like three years later. It's like, yeah. too soon, Junior, too soon. Yeah, I don't know. It, it could catch on. But there's there's a lot of new gear that's coming out, like, you know. Like Flight 1 ESC's rider? Oh, my God, man. I saw a photo online today. I was like, oh, they do exist. They actually look pretty good. Um, I'm just hoping but that wasn't ends that, up in my mailbox. That wasn't that Megapult ESC. Yeah, that's that's the one that's shipping, dude. I think, um, you know, the one with the module on the inside is like potentially a prototype or something. That's the one I clicked in the checkout box, bro. Don't tell me that shit. <laughs> Preston Preston uh pulled one over on you, man. No, I don't know. Um I just saw the one that got shipped to this one dude and then I ran out to the mailbox and it was empty and then I was pursing his name and came inside and ordered a hobby wing. Yeah, waiting on uh waiting on my flight one ESCs and my refund on my fire festival tickets. Once I get those two things, I am mm-hmm. set to go. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm sure they'll be sick, and if someone's, like, getting them out there, like, unless it's, like, Willard or somebody um, that's, like, really on the inside scoop, then I'm sure they're right around the corner. Um, mm-hmm. and I think Preston, I'm hoping. Preston did post something, like, a few days ago that was, like, they're on the way from um, the manufacturer, like, they're shipped to us. Dude, they've been on the way for 10 weeks. Longer. Yeah, but then they added from the manufacturer. Like, mm-hmm. it, before it was just on the way, now it's, like, on the way comma <laughs> from the manufacturer i want to know when it's on the way to my doorstep that's what i want to know send me a text facebook message me however you run it you know hey greg Holla. if you're reading this just like a yeah. little note i know young preston's got his own little stash bro i know he's got like a drawer full of 50 of them i got next weekend free if you want to go for a drive 
Yeah, let's go knock on the doorstep and be like, And what did the burglars take? Let's do uh, this. Just a bunch of ESCs. <laughs> it's really weird. <laughs> and then posted a bunch of pictures on social media of just flying the new ESCs. Like, back from yeah. my trip from Arizona. Uh, there was also a floppy disk of something called Falco that was stolen (laughs) (laughs) 3.5 inch floppy and you're saying they just left the money in the Rolexes yeah it's really weird (laughs) (laughs) Preston's like I kept that I kept that copy of Falco in the missed computer game box man I don't know how they found it dude have you tried Falco yet no no, I'm happy, man. I, uh, <laughs> I'm i on the Flight 1 firmware. I don't even know which one. I think the latest beta before Falco. Yeah, same. Um, I really and then I tried beta. F- yeah. Did you try beta flight with the RPM filtering yet? No. I uh, The MQC I flashed to the beta flight before 4.0. It actually, yeah. so I didn't. I didn't do it consciously. Like I got that Radix from you, plugged into the hobby wing, set up the GPS, tuned the quad, and then I had like two days before I went to, to this shoot, and then I was like, oh, f-. and then I was like gonna dive deeper into tuning um, and like go into the RPM filtering, and then I mm-hmm. that was when I realized that I didn't have 4.0 on there, and I was like, well, I'm not gonna change shit, but like it's flying mm-hmm. ni- 95%. I'm not gonna like dig myself into a potential hole right before I leave for this trip. I'm just going to leave it and then maybe fuck with it later. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that any of this firmware is necessarily going to fly any smoother than what we have right now. Right. Cause like when you do some of the ESC changes and you have a clean quad and you're running, you know, low amounts of filtering, like it's going to feel super smooth and responsive if you got to set up right. But the, the amount of time and tuning that it takes to get it there just is so much more than hopefully what it is in the future right like rpm filtering falco whatever it is like all this ai and predictive based algorithms hopefully get these quads to fly without having to put too much time into tuning yeah definitely um and on the front of tuning something i noticed too is uh before i left for aspen i built up a fresh low flow with the last set of ls2207 uh 2400 kv emaxes and uh, I had, like, such old motors on my other two regular rigs that I flew all the time that were, like, so bent out of shape and, like, a bit worn that I had to slightly lower my pids on the fresh build. So, like, I'm trying to follow, man. So you, you your pids creeped up when you had the, the fucked motors? Yeah. And then when you put the fresh motors on there, it was, like, too hot? creeping back down a little bit yeah Yeah, like it was like a it was a little vibey um just in like really hard maneuvers or like in a lot of prop wash kind of situations and i was like okay i gotta dial this back it was like the same thing of like when i came to visit you in california and i had to turn my filters down like by two like Mm -hmm. i went from like 120 to 118 and it fixed everything i just had to go back up or yeah like the other direction Mm -hmm. um yeah it was just i was just like oh that's how old my motors were right yeah right um thrust vectors yeah bro. the the rpm filtering setup dude was gnarly like i mean nothing crazy like i'm not trying to make it sound all fucking difficult but like it was just a pain in the ass because you had to you had to basically download a test firmware and then do a manual install of that on your escs and then run some cli prompts uh to get the rpm filtering set up with the other right variables and all this shit 
And then I basically didn't put any other filtering on it. I turned everything off. I flew it. It flew great. It flew smooth. Um, yeah. And the motors weren't hot, right? I was so hopeful, bro. Like, I was, you were calling me, like, every day, and you were like, okay, I changed this, this, and this. It's feeling better. And then, like, based mm-hmm. on the FPV feed, you were like, yo, this thing feels great. Um, it's flying so good. And then, in the end, it was like, oh, yeah, Flight 1 is still, like, a little... It's just... I don't know, bro. It's... Well, and to be to be fair, that test didn't have any like constant variables, right? It was on a completely different frame, but I specifically chose that frame because it's a piece of shit, right? And then I was like, if this thing can handle a piece of shit, essentially, the motors were good, so I wouldn't call it a dirty build, but you know, there was a lot of flex and vibration in that frame, and I was like, if this thing can fly well with no added filters and no crazy, you know, pit adjustments, just on RPM filter, then I'm like, okay, that that's some good firmware. Yeah, and so I still haven't tried that firmware on like a nice solid frame, but uh, yeah, nothing really beats that the flight one for me. Right when I fly, I really love the feeling of that. So yeah, love the feeling yeah. of it, and I'm just like so much more in tune with like what how number changes will affect it. Like I can like fly a quad, feel it, look at the footage, and then just like go into the flight one GUI and change what I need to and like get a direct um, solution to my problems. Whereas beta flight, like I'm not fully versed in beta flight. I haven't messed with it enough in like the last two years that it's still like, you know, Mac PC kind of debate. Mm-hmm. You know, like different strokes for different folks. Um, but I will say that... Um, like filming and doing this chase footage, I had no preference switching between. Like I filmed some footage on Flight One and some footage on Beta Flight mm-hmm. with these mountain bikers, and um, no difference to me in that in that arena. Yeah, I mean, one of the common threads, at least that I've heard on your podcast, with a lot of the pilots that fly cinematic stuff, and this, of course, isn't everyone, but there's a lot of pilots that have awesome cinematic footage that don't tune. They just run default pits, right? Because you're not um, hitting those extremes. When you're holding a steady line and putting it through real steady, it's like, you know, do you really notice the difference in a in a high P gain or like, you know, no filters? Yeah, it's like with Jay Z and uh, like Air Blaster. I'm always like so pumped to be like, yo, what do you do to tune? And uh, both of them were like. You know, like with no disrespect, but we're like stock filters, and it kind of made me like look at myself and be like. Am I trying too hard? And I had Jay Z on, and then I went and tuned uh, the Beta Flight rig for this film shoot, and I was just like, <laughs> I got it like ninety percent of the way, and I was like, ah, fuck it, you know? Yeah, I'm not gonna pull my hair out over this. No, don't. I mean, it, it goes back to that whole audience thing, right? Like, you know, to get cinematic footage, I don't think you need to like flex in in the maneuverability of your quad, right? If you're doing some exhibition stuff and you're showing off the pilots and like. Um, you remember that guy on Facebook I show you, his name's Francis or Frank. Yeah. And he was doing some freestyle where I was like, holy shit, look at the tune on this quad, like unbelievable control. Now, most of that's the pilot, right? But a lot of that is not even possible without the right tune. Yeah. That's you know how I, I feel mean? too about, uh, Alexander FPV. Right. Dude, his shit is um, I'm trying to stop using the word retarded, but his shit is retarded. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen it. I'm going to go check it out. 
Um, it just doesn't even make sense, man. Um, like I think I have a very well tuned rig, um, but I also have like a very smooth, flowy flying style. So I don't do like crazy hard maneuvers all the time, but he can do, you know, like a roll one way, a roll the other way, like into prop wash and, uh, can't tell. And mm-hmm. I will say too, like Willard's latest clips on Falco X with what his rig that he's flying are also stupid smooth for what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, Killing it. Yeah. It's just unreal. I think that's really where the low latency comes in, right? Like, if you are pushing your quad to the extremes in terms of, like, axis and pitch and throw and, like, um, the the latency that comes with some of these filters, you can't can't do these rapid maneuvers, like, with ultimate control, you know, with all those layers of... Yeah, so it's all delayed and... um, so I think that's really where like tunes get shown off, right? Is in these really hardcore freestyle maneuvers where the pilot has full control through them, can throw it into it, can pull it out without any uh, prop wash, and you know the things. It's like a car that steers flat, you know. It's yeah. like you throw it in the turn hard and it kicks its ass end out perfectly, and the front end just holds and sticks, and there's no understeer. Like, and you see someone drive a car like that, and you're like, oh fuck, that car is set up nice, like. You know, same thing with quads. Like you see just some of the maneuvers that some of these pilots pull off. And again, mostly pilot skill, but, you know, can't be really can't be achieved without the right tune and and a good setup. So definitely it's all about that least amount of filtering, highest PIDs ratio in my eyes. Mm -hmm. Just ride that line. Like we were saying, like, uh, yeah, I changed the Velcro strap on my quad. I got to go retune a little bit here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like the weight changed. <laughs> you put a, you stick your piece of gum on the quad, and it's got too much weight on it for those. I pins. lost a foam footy and uh, Rolex. Feeling, <laughs> feeling a little weird right now. <laughs> yeah, dude. Um, that uh, was funny that day when you put those batteries on, and the thing was just like sputtering up, and I was like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> shit's going south. Um, and I also thought, um, speaking of Willard, I watched his prop video on uh, the new uh, S4 props. And I thought it was really awesome how he pointed out, like, how much of a difference the prop makes and, like, how you almost, like, can't out-tune the mechanical side of something like that, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Like, that's so valid. Yeah. I'm sure there are props that are just not, you know, for some setups that are just not even tunable, right? Yeah, like I think, you know, all the major prop brands make great props at this point. Obviously, I'm partial to Azure props now. I ran HQ for a long time, but I think sometimes people fuck up their motor and prop combo. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think it's a wrong choice, like Gem Fan, um, HQ, whatever you like is your deal, whatever your flavor. But I think there is, like, you can fuck it up by, like, putting too heavy of a prop on a not torquey enough motor or, you know, just. Mm-hmm. Bad combos. Super fine balance. I mean, you kind of went from. I, went, I don't yeah. think you've gone One from extreme the, to the other. Right, without changing the motor, right? So you're running 2400 kV. I know you went from a 5.1, 5.1, which is a pretty long and steep setup. And heavy. And, like, it's a heavier prop. Yeah. yeah. And then you went to the Johnnies, which are short, low pitch. Um,. I'm I'm about to try out some really high KV motors on those and see what that does. But I, I've been doing what you're doing with the 2400s. But yeah, like I, I mean, it's kind of the same net output, 
right? In terms of like maybe amp draw in the long run. Yeah. Um, low KV in a in a heavy pitch and a higher KV in a low pitch, right? But low KV, low pitch, bro. Low KV, low pitch. I mean, that's I'm like yeah. I think twenty four hundred KV with Johnny props is pretty low. Well, low. yeah. Like that's and you say you. Yeah, and you set your throttle, uh, your your idle speed high, right? So when you do that, then you're at least you're not bottoming out on that. You got like that anti lag going. Yeah, it's you got to keep those turbos spooled up. Got and that one point six liter three cylinder just fucking cranked. <laughs> yeah, dude, and and seriously, that low KV low pitch setup when you're flying low to the ground gives you so much resolution, right? It, you could just stick it in there, like uh, you know, like grease it in, like a Friday night. That's terrible. Bro. That's terrible. (laughs) I was thinking, you know, I'm thinking, you know, I saw that Top Gun movie recently, and you watch how these fuckers land these these jets on the aircraft carrier, and just fucking, man. Anyways, but uh, that was my biggest like deciding factor. Like, besides how fast they change direction, like how much you can like fuck with them when you're floating, like you can like revert and stuff like that on a dime. Um, I think a really good way to connect freestyle lines is to just get low. Like it keeps the viewer engaged. Like if you split S mm-hmm. a tree and then you got a hundred feet. So the next thing you do, if you just catch that split S like two feet off the ground and hold it, the video is interesting. Grass mm-hmm. is blown by terrains blown by you're super low. It makes the video relative, um, to its surroundings. Um, and so like that was the biggest thing. And like, I, I just, in my style, like I don't fly fast. Mm-hmm. Like even if I'm like sometimes it looks like I'm flying fast, but it's just because I'm close to shit, not because I'm actually going fast. Yeah, it's the whole go kart kind of idea, right? You know, when you go drive a go kart or a shifter cart, you feel like it's crazy fast. You might be going seventy, eighty miles an hour, but it feels like two hundred. Yeah, because you're an inch off the ground. Yeah, you know, like when I'm. <laughs> yeah and you know some of the videos i send you that are like me practicing freestyle maneuvers like a hundred feet off the ground and you're like nice bro nice but why don't you get a little lower but it's like yeah eventually but totally from a viewer perspective right like when you're way high up in the air it looks like you're not even going anywhere it looks like you're just like a kite up in the air yeah but you might be going the same speed three inches off the ground and all it's like an entirely new like viewer experience because it's just like shit it's all an ass yeah, or like split essing, or like you know, like a tree, and you're like just riding the edge of the leaves. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of shit to me is so much easier on like the Johnny props and like that style of <clears throat> super lightweight, low pitch prop. But it is super hard to catch the quad in a G out. You gotta like anticipate heavily. You're mm-hmm. like taking a Miata out of a dig. You know? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that idle speed helps with that, but totally, like, I almost, <laughs> I almost smash one right in the ground. It's like, pull up, pull up, pull, <laughs> pull up. up. Yeah, like the sensor <laughs> warning. Yeah. Um, oh, man, didn't, uh, you know, you don't have, like you're saying, like, you might have to, even have to go full stick. All, right? I go. That's the only situation I think I really go full stick on is when I'm, like, diving down from something and I'm trying to catch the quad. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say, like, I, I don't... Like, for a while, I was, like, overcompensating, you know? Like, you fly under... You split S under a bridge or something, and you end up overthrottling, and you almost, like, bonk the ceiling of the bridge or, like, the underside. Getting yep. used to that with uh, the low-powered setup was kind of weird because <clears throat> with the high-pitch um, 5.1 setup, like, I could just, like, blip the throttle, and it was just, like, hockey stop, it felt like. It was just like, er, 
and mm-hmm. I don't catch it. Whereas with the Johnny props, I really have to like, like halfway through that dive, I'm starting to get into the throttle. Mm-hmm. Like, here we go. Yeah. I mean, all the technical stuff, like doing a knife edge through the tree gap or something like that, where you're trying to go right between some branches, like with any high pitch prop, as soon as you go, as soon as you go 90 degrees, you're going to be pulled one direction, right? Yeah. You can't make like <clears throat> micro adjustments. Yeah, you kill the throttle, those motors are still spinning with a high-pitched prop. It's going to pull you a little bit. Yep. So I feel like you can, I mean, it's that, it's that fine line, right, with the idle speed too, right? I remember you were saying, like, dive in a building with a higher idle is kind of a challenge because it keeps pulling you away from the building. Yeah, you got to, like, over-dive. Like, you got to be, like, your thrust vector. Yeah. Um, just love saying that word. <laughs> thrust vector you got to be like almost pointed at the building a bit like completely upside down um like mm-hmm. leaning towards completely upside down not just vertical yeah which is it's also too. sick when you do like a, like if you do a 90 degree barrel roll as you're diving so then you kind of get sucked back towards the building and then flip it back around you know yeah like if you're diving like an elevator shaft or some shit like that yeah just keep rolling like oh i gotta hit yeah. this side oh i gotta hit this side Dude, it's uh, kind of what Tommy did with the Chernobyl. The Duga uh, dive. I was just thinking that. Yeah, yeah I just kept kept rolling, um, which is funny too because I feel like in 2015, um, when like we switched from Simon K and uh, Air Mode came out and stuff like that, it seemed like like the trend was like how slow can I get my motors to spin in the air and still hold orientation. Mm-hmm. And now. <clears throat> like um like we were saying on the phone <clears throat> I don't even think I really get 100% out of throttle for most tricks unless it's just like a straight snap roll. Yeah. Like I feel like I'm always like at least 10% still in the throttle um no matter what I'm doing. And I'm not a inverted yawspin guy. Like Mhm. It's just not my style of trick. Right. And that's where it, I mean that really eats you live like a high idle. Oh, yeah, you come back to earth real quick. And you're like, I was 60 feet up, and now I'm in the lawn. <laughs> Trimming grass. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, totally. I mean, free-falling, you kind of need that for a bunch of tricks, but I think one of the biggest things that I found in tuning was you get a lot less prop wash if you don't have to come from, you know, a super slow motor idle. If you can keep those motors spinning with some momentum, then when you bring yeah, on the throttle, it's not, as abru- it's not as abrupt. It's kind of like um, like a drag race, right? When you're doing fr- like a hard off the line drag race versus like a rolling quarter mile or something like that. Yeah. You know the wear, the wear and the torque on your transmission and axle and drive line is way less on a rolling start than on like a hard start, right? Yeah. So I, feel like I would only launch similar. the Subi when it rained. <laughs> right. Just to give myself that little slip. Um, on a quick side note. I just learned this um, on the airplane listening to the Smoking Tire podcast, but do you know how a trans brake works? Uh, no, not really. It puts in first and reverse. Go ahead, tell me. It puts in first and reverse at the same time. Oh, and it, and it just locks it, huh? Yeah. Never yeah. knew that. Felt like an idiot. Um, but Matt Fair admitted it too. He was like, can you tell me about this? I don't know what it is. <laughs> like, I, I know what it is, but I don't know how it works. I mean, that's pretty genius, right? Cause the more torque you put onto it, it's gonna, it's gonna, um, provide like the opposite, yeah. you know, opposite side of that torque. It's, uh, 
Super Anyways, cool. we're gonna have to put one of those in the in the Yukon, man. Dude, do it. Trans brake. <laughs> Some line locks and I shit. I think uh, you should probably swap it with a trackhawk engine. Just my two cents. Bro, it's a it's a LS motor. It's got it's got plenty of room to work with. It's gonna be fun. Rotary swap SUV. <laughs> <laughs> Just redlining it like 10k. Dude. That is the last thing you want to deal with on a SUV is a rotary fucking engine. Jesus. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sounds like you're going so fast all the time, but you're not in that giant boat. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I mean, dude, we're going to put a cam in it, new fuel system, new intake manifold, you know, a lot of good stuff. It's going to sound good. Uh, speaking of cars, too, um, <clears throat> Shout out to Nick Stella. If you put one more mod on your truck, you should probably just move to Miami. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or get the cover of a magazine. Yeah, dude. Seriously. He's going so deep on that thing. Yeah, thing looks sick. He's got, like, some hand-detailed headlights and stuff like that. Yeah, it's clean, man. Um, like, I'm not a truck guy, not my style, but that is a uh, super clean setup. I dig it. Um, but we can't stay too far on cars. People sometimes bitch about it in the comments. Yeah, that's all right. Yeah, that's all right. We all got different hobbies, you know? Yeah. Uh, what else, man? What else is new with FPV? Well, we were talking gear for a minute, so, um, I saw that TBS is finally, or at least Get FPV has finally posted the inventory or the, at least the product listing for the uh, the TBS Fusion, the goggle mod. They have a module coming out that I guess they worked on with Brain FPV um, that uses Achilles for the OSD software. And, uh, you know, I love TBS hardware. Um, there's nothing wrong with my goggle module, but um, this thing is supposed to be pretty cool at a, at a good price and, you know, backed by TBS. There's there's actually some stuff that they haven't released info on that it's, uh, involves the brain OSD and, you know, maybe hopefully a ground station that hooks up to it or something like that. So That's going to be super. I mean, yeah, TBS is like knock on wood, never failed me ever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, um, Trappy's like a long-range junkie, so they also launched this uh, TBS switched antenna. You know, where you can uh, switch between a diamond and I think he called it like a Yagi antenna, which is like, I think, like more of a, a long range setup, whereas the diamond is really good for if you're close off off the ground or, you know, you don't have a, a direct line to the quad or something like that. Yeah, dude, I was getting super shitty link quality for like the last two months and then I just switched to the diamond and all my issues went away. Mm-hmm. I think you I, fly low, bro. I fly low, and I had like the stock Crossfire antenna for two years now. Like, I've had a Crossfire module for two years, and I've just been rocking the antenna that came with the module. And uh, I think I just it just came in and out of my backpack one too many times. Yep, you probably snapped a little piece here or there, and yeah. Um, and then I switched to the diamond, know. and like in Aspen, I rocked it at five hundred milliwatts the whole time, and I had like between ninety eight and one hundred percent link quality. No matter what I was doing. That's awesome. And, and I also switched, uh, like we talked about this, I switched away from Immortal Tees on anything. Like, I don't have any, aside from my Cinewhoop, um, 
because it came with it. I don't have an immortal TM mm-hmm. or anything anymore. Just got the good old. Um, we can just coin it since Steele made the video and he's more famous um, than both of us combined. The immortal L. The immortal L. Yeah. <clears throat> good old zip ties and heat shrink. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, some of those 3D prints with the tubes are nice too. Yeah. Brings me back to the old RC car days with the fucking long antenna sticking out the top. Dude, yeah. When I first got an FPV, I was all about the tubes, um, but then I would just lose them so often that I would just have to go into Hobby Town and buy more all the time. What do you mean you lose <laughs> them? They'd like fall off the quad or something? Yeah, mostly. Mm. Speci- like, yeah, like hit something, clip something. I would like try to like hot glue them in or um, like welders glue them in and stuff, but I would always mm-hmm. end up losing them. <clears throat> but this was also in an era when I was like, you know, crashing when a lot pre-sim when days. you didn't have a 3d printer <laughs> yeah before i had a 3d printer too that's a fucking lifesaver just printed yeah. myself a sick wall-mounted toothbrush holder bro game changer in the bathroom nice yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, so um what was the other thing i was gonna oh you know this fpv comet combat thing right like I've been thinking about that a lot when I'm uh, when I should be thinking about work or other important things. Literally anything else. It's like, how do you pull that off? Because, like, you know, I love flying freestyle and love, you know, editing cinematic footage. But like, what I think would be super fun is like shooting down other pilots. <laughs> I think it'd be super fun if you could do it like you know whipping down the side of a mountain otherwise to me it just like seems kind of like battle bots which are cool and novel but that's about it to me no i'm talking like six pilots go out to a canyon everyone's flying long range everyone's on a team you got you know you got ammunition triggers or whatever on your radio it's all virtual right you're not really going to shoot down a drone yeah, but like, if you get you get the camera technology and the sensor, and like get some heads-up display in your goggles, yeah, that would be uh, level. Yeah, Schizo was working on like flight controllers with processors and like passing turtle shells between quads, knocking you know? them out. Yeah, yeah, like that would be super fun if you could basically just go play like Mario Kart or Rocket League or some shit like that with your quads, mm-hmm. like a virtual soccer ball, you know, that people right. are knocking around in a field. Yeah, capture Maybe. the flag, anything like that was GPS-based. Dude, and then if you were a sick pilot, like racer or freestyle, you could just go put on a clinic compared to the average. Yeah, you know, kind of like uh, yeah, paintball or whatever, just kind of... Another element of, like, group flying, because, you know, when I'm flying freestyle and doing anything, you know, that's, like, for me, right, where I'm not competing, that's why I don't think, yeah, it's part of the reason I didn't want to get into racing, and probably why a bunch of people don't want to race is, like, there's just a competitive element, I don't know, just a, instead of a release, right? But if you can go out there and, you know, not have to fly through a gate and do some crazy combat shit, yeah, you just mark fun. people. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, we'll just use Roman candles. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to think of what other gear I've seen lately. 
Oh, that's something I didn't mention. Um, I flew 5S all weekend, which was crazy for the whole shoot. For, like, I nice. had 5S yeah. packs for a while, but I just, like, never... I just had them on storage charge um, for, like, five months, basically. Like, I'd fly them here and there, try some shit out, um, but I gotta say it was awesome. On 1850 KB motors on the Johnny Props, which is, again, underpowered. Like, I would go with a slightly higher kv if i was trying to get something a bit more crisp but like for efficiency and shit i was getting i think my longest flight up there like i think when i did the flight it was like uh nine thousand feet and i got like four mm-hmm. and a half minutes on a 5s 1350 and i was like in Damn. a hover and flying chill for a part of it but mm-hmm. still just like a lot of airtime, and it opened up a lot of um like opportunities especially in that setting just being able to like park it for 30 seconds and not really lose you know like on the 4s up there i was getting like 90 seconds to two minutes um dude that's great yeah and i also that's so much better than having to swap every two minutes right yeah and like there was one where i just had my quad plugged in for 10 minutes <clears throat> like I did like five flights, had it plugged in for 10 minutes, did like 45 second flights each time, left my quad mm-hmm. plugged in, turned the GoPro off, turned it back on. And that way I was just always ready to go. If someone was like, okay, we're ready. Mm-hmm. Um, You're really testing the heat on that VTX, huh? Yeah. I I only had it at six hundo. I didn't have it all the way okay. up. So it was, That's I mean, cool. it was warm, but like Trappy said, they test that shit at a thousand with no antenna. So I just kept thinking of that. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Um, What what was I going to say on that front? Oh, and then on my OSD, I switched uh, from having the overall voltage to just the cell voltage. Mm -hmm. I used to run, like, the full battery voltage, and then I just switched to the cell. And, uh, dude, like, I feel like that's what everybody does. I feel like I'm... know less people that run the full voltage and it's so much easier to keep track of when you just have the cell voltage felt like a klutz for not doing it sooner yeah i think especially if you're going between like different size packs 6s 5s 4s it's just easier to wrap your mind around it i'm not like around it rather than like oh what the fuck is this okay i need to land at 18.5 oh fuck i mean 14.8 oh fuck i don't know (laughs) so what do you land at three six yeah three seven Three six every time, cool. but it was also a lot easier to gauge. Um, like when I was doing these like super like repetitive runs, I could be like, okay, that run is gonna take me um, like point oh eight, um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, out of the battery. So I'm gonna like I could do this run like I'm at three point eight. I can do it two more times, and then I'm done. And I feel like it's. Um, maybe it was cause I will say that like the flight one OSD and stuff like that has never really impressed me. Like it does its job, but I felt like the beta flight, um, with the radix and the hobby wing, I had a way more, um, accurate and consistent read, less sag. Um, it would just like trickle down consistently instead of like bounce around a little bit. Like the flight one has never failed me. It just seems like it's not quite as locked in out of the box. <clears throat> Right. Yeah. Um, oh, what other stuff came out? I think there's a bunch of new cinematic drones coming out, right? Like, I think the we talked about the Air Blaster one. I saw that Skyberries is working on a Rebel one. And then I saw the Ethics um, 
little cine whoop with like the half half ducted fan. You got the iFlight one. I mean, seems like it's kind of a buzzing little part of the industry. Yeah, the the ethics half ducted one I think is sick. <clears throat> I ran half ducks for a while, and it like it's like seventy five percent safe. You could definitely still like get someone's clothes caught up in it, or like tag them if they like you hit like a finger or something like that. More so than um, like a Cinewhoop, like a squirt or a Mega B. Um, but I think you also, I think the pro is it's not as much of a brick in um the wind like it's got less drag it's just a bit more aerodynamic Mm -hmm. you can fly it more aggressively the downside is it isn't fully ducted and i will say that i had noticed a power increase with a ducted setup Hmm. um especially power increase yeah like um I didn't notice it much when I first got the Mega B and I was running the stock Mega B ducks, but then I printed off some of the V1 squirt ducks and the gap between the prop and the duct was so much smaller than the stock Mega B and I just got more hmm. power out of it. Really? More, of, more ducted fan vibe than like a prop with a guard. That's really interesting, man. That's cool. Yeah. I wonder what the like aerodynamics are, as you and Skyberries might say, the thrust vector. I wonder how that's handled with the, you know, I wonder when you kill that air gap, if it actually creates like a vacuum with more thrust. I would think so. I would think it'd just make it more efficient. Yeah. Less wasted space. Like, imagine a little turbo scroll wheel with like a big gap on either side, you know? Mm-hmm. You'd just be like, what is going on here? <laughs> Yeah. What size props go on there? Three inch. Okay. Just normal three inch props? Uh, Bullnose three inch, which was one of the selling points of the Mega B for me was that you can just get props for it. Like it came with props you didn't have to cut, and I didn't want to deal with how inconsistent cutting my own props would be Mm -hmm. or getting a Dremel. I'm a non-Dremel owner, and I didn't want to drop like 60 bucks just to cut props. Yeah. And, I mean, you can still fuck up the balance on them even when you cut them like that. And, totally. But and I it, thought HQ dropped some props that are, like... I believe they did, like, meant for that. Um, mm-hmm. And I think with the, like, Cinewhoop style and, like, you know, just how it's, like, a little underpowered and overweighted, um, the propensity for hot motors, like, I was... It's high. Like, I was reading some threads of, like, people building squirts, um, and one of the most common things I saw was hot motors interesting yeah Yeah. i should take the ducks off and just fly it and see though Hmm. i wonder if it's um you know because i got the v1 squirt and i haven't built it but i think if you took the ducks off it would be pretty flexy you know yeah that's true the arms are so damn thin yeah and it's like i feel like the ducks are kind of needed to reinforce the arm a bit yeah add some rigidity Mm mm-hmm but I got a sweet X hover three inch frame. I'll send you, man. Thing does not need any ducks. It's, it's like one of those that goes like ninety miles an hour. Yeah, dude. Uh, I think three inch is a great platform, um, especially for Cinewhoop and for like stepping up to a five inch. But I like. I don't think I would fly like a freestyle three inch quad. Mm-mm. Why do you okay. think I offered sending it to you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um. 
yeah, like it's a great stepping stone. It does it's not as heavy. It's got less inertia. Probably won't break as much when you break it. You probably don't have a GoPro on it mm-hmm. at that size, and you can really get the feel for a quad. But dude, five inches is just that damn sweet spot, man. For the GoPro, yeah. For the GoPro, I mean, maybe, and I think also just like for the combo power of like weight. power wind, you mm-hmm. know, like all these totally. things, it just it just works the best. It's a sweet spot, yeah. Yeah. We, uh, I don't have an HD camera on that three inch, but I built a couple of them. Tyler has one of them, and he put a session on it. And dude, flying that thing with a session on it is like driving around a lifted Jeep, like with an eight inch lift. You know what I mean? Yeah, the same got, gears in the transfer battery. case. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> battery on the bottom, like GoPro on top, and it's three inch arms and. Dude, you remember when I put the session on the Mobula HD? Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's like seventy-five millimeter, eighty millimeter, something like that. It's seventy-five millimeter three S for about a minute and ten seconds of flight <laughs> with a battery that you could cook an egg on by the end of it. Yeah, dude. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes the it was just like desync, and I was like, I didn't take it seriously. I was just messing around with it. I just double-sided taped the session on there. Mm-hmm. I just stuck it on there, and it flew well. And you, I could get it in super small spaces. Um, and I really like. I know who FPV is just murdering the micro scene with his footage, mm-hmm. like real estate. Oh yeah, run camp split footage. Like his shit is. <clears throat> he's like my go-to. Um, ask for like, hey, how do I? What do I need? How do you? Mm-hmm. Um, but like for me personally, like I just don't want to deal with that shit. Like I just need something I got to put a GoPro on. And I was looking at like the wind too, um, and putting like a GoPro on that. Cause I saw some good footage of it, but mm-hmm. it's only good for like, like I would never fly it unless someone was like, Hey, can we pay you to fly through our bar stools? Mm-hmm. You know, kind of shot. Like, I don't think I'd ever go fly it for fun. Really. It would just have to be for a purpose. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, right? Because like some of the best footage we can get with a drone right now is on that Hero Six or whatever. Call it Hero Seven, hyper hyper uh, smooth, or Hero Six and in, in real steady. But like you know, rather than finding a camera for a drone to do a job, it's more like we're finding a drone that can support this camera to do a job. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like we're. we're I think at least that's where I think it's gone, right? Is building the drone around the camera angles and the camera mounts that we need. Yeah. Um, that was a big upgrade too on my Mega B. I, f- I printed off a ABS GoPro mount for like the GoPro mm-hmm. case and it's all adjustable. I haven't flown it yet with it on there. <clears throat> I don't think the weight's going to be an issue. Um, mm-hmm. But like I, I took the um, Mega B out. I. Like I talked to you about this, but before I left for the trip, I drove like 30 minutes, like I found a new park, drove 30 minutes back with my gear, um, snapped an arm on my low flow on the first pack, came Mm -hmm. back home, fixed it, went to bed, got up first thing in the morning, went to the park again, drove the 30 minutes, and then my shit fell out of the sky because a motor wire was cut that I didn't see, and it like finally gave way when Mm -hmm. I did a roll. And I was just feeling um, like I had some angst, so I took the Mega B out for, like, a shreddy run. And, (laughs) like, I was just flipping and flopping it and doing all these crazy tricks with it. And uh, that was one thing where I was like, oh, shit. Like, like the footage was unusable because when I was going fast, the GoPro was just looking at the ground. Right. 
had like no angle on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's cool that they, uh, you know, that like you can get more prints now. I mean, I don't have a printer, but you can find prints that are, that bro, have that. Bro, did you see Jay-Z's post, bro? I got you. What's that? Yeah. <laughs> I, fr- I, did, I printed off two sets of dubs. Open up shop. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, but yeah, this, uh, the super G, the, the seven inch frame, the top plate and bottom plate are the same shape. So what I'm thinking of doing, I think I saw this somewhere on Instagram, like using the same GoPro mount on the front, also in the back upside down to get the like, um, you know, reverse angle chase. Yeah. I thought I'd try that out for fun, but. Would you just land it in grass or like hand catch it or? Um, yeah, I think it's going to be situation specific, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, you, you'll probably trash some GoPros if you don't land it right, you know? Yeah. You really have to like set it down like Harrier jet mm-hmm. style. You can't just like dump yeah. it. Like sometimes I'll come in from a pack and just like disarm when I'm still going five miles an hour and shit. Mm-hmm. No more. No moss. No. Go, go into level mode and hand catch that thing. Yeah. Well, shit, dude. Uh. It's been like yeah. two plus hours. Good talking to you, man. Yeah, yeah. It's, been a, it's been a little minute. You've been out there getting it done. What are we going to call this episode? Uh, this is an episode? I thought I was just talking to you for two hours. <laughs> Dude, that'd be so... I should start doing that to people. Like, just call them and hit them up and see how they're doing. And then at the end, thought, it'd be like, thanks, man. This episode will be out on Wednesday. <laughs> yeah, like, what episode? I thought yeah. this was just one of our, like, long, you know, insane two-hour talks about, you know, toy helicopters. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I don't know what I'm um, going to call it. Good shit, dude. Um, well, have a good week and uh, get out there and fly, man. Put it in the air. Yeah, man. I'm going to Missouri for a week. I got a week with the family. Missouri. Missouri. Going to the Ozarks. I'm going to... That sounds fun, though. Um, are you going to bring your rig? Duh. Duh, <laughs> duh, bro. I'm a fucking drone pilot. What do you expect, man? Got to get that content. And uh, I love my family to death, but I'm going to be from with them for a week. I'm definitely going to need to fly. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel naked if I don't have my gear with me, man. <laughs> yeah, I'm not quite there, but dude, such a it's, sometimes it's a hassle to travel with the drone. Depending on how many batteries you want to bring, and if it, you're going to bring a charger and tools, and always worth it. Um, totally. Since 2016, I haven't been on a single trip out of like 16 where I didn't either bring my drones or like fly a drone like i didn't take my drones to michigan for that data collection thing but i flew a drone when i got there Mm -hmm. and like when i went to europe and everywhere i always bring a drone yeah got to i'm going i'm going to utah next week for a work trip i'll be there a couple days right up against the mountains right there in lehigh so i'm thinking about you know a lot easier to track down a drone in that weather than the last time I was flying there, right? In the, in the winter. In the snow. Yeah. Your chances are higher. Uh, yeah. I th- think it looked pretty good, too. I've never been out there to fly, but... Mm-hmm. All right, man. Well, hell yeah. This was a dope episode. Yeah. Good talking to you, man. Yeah, you too. Talk to you soon. Yeah.